Amen. Bow your heads with me, please, in prayer. Oh, gracious God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be acceptable in your sight, for you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. My subject today is tell your story of God's transforming grace. MCC offers a powerful statement of direction, and this quote is at the beginning of your worship bulletin, and it reads as follows. Resurrection MCC has staked its claim. As one of the world's emerging churches, we are proclaiming a spirituality that is liberating and sufficiently profound to address the issues of our chaotic and complicated world. Now, we will accomplish this by boldly taking five steps, three of which are the topics for our series, this Take Back the Table series. Reverend Janice will preach on reclaiming our holy identity, Pastor Dwayne will preach on building bridges that liberate and unite. And I am here today to encourage you to tell the story of God's transforming grace. Now, I've been thinking about the phrase, tell the story. I think those words are somewhat impersonal. The more that I think about it, the more that I believe that one of the reasons that we are not always effective witnesses is because we don't or we can't share personal accounts of God's transforming grace. Instead of telling the story, can we tell our story? Imagine being converted after hearing a detached reporter say, God allegedly gives grace to God's followers. Imagine being persuaded after reading a dispassionate news flash. Once upon a time, God is reported to have shed grace all over the earth. Imagine seeing or hearing the following disclaimer. Although some credible sources claim to have received grace, our reporting their stories does not in any way constitute agreement or be belief in said claims. God needs passionate witnesses. 1 Peter 3 and 15 says, Always be ready to give an answer to anyone who asks you about the reason that you have hope within. Before you can tell the story, you have to have a story of your own to tell. How can you extend God's grace at the table to someone else if you are not sure that the table is spread for you? The only way to be a credible witness is to be one with firsthand experience. You see, the gospel is not gossip. It's not merely he say, she say. It's not fairy tales. It's not dead history. It's the personal account 
of people who, no matter how often they struck out, always stayed in the game. The gospel is the personal triumphs of people who eventually cross home plate where they have a story to tell about God's transforming grace. If you want to make a home run for God, you have to answer the umpire's call, batter up. First base is preparation. Our love for God begins with, within our hearts. When we present ourselves, we surrender our hearts. Our heart is our most vulnerable part. It's the part that we want to protect and shield and keep away from others. So to offer our hearts to God takes a great deal of trust. And that's why Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart. And that's how Jesus loves us with all of his heart. Why would Jesus ask Peter to walk out on the water when he knew that brother man was going to start faltering and sinking? He wanted Peter to trust him with his whole heart. Jesus deals with us by opening up his bowels of compassion. Mercy makes no logical head sense. It's pure emotion. We prepare ourselves by willingly opening our hearts to God. A circus trainer had a tightrope across Niagara Falls, and he asked the bystanders, do you think that I can roll my assistant in this barrel across this wire? They said, yes, yes, do it, do it. And so he safely rolled the assistant across the wire. Now, when he got to the other side, he asked the crowd, who here believes that I can roll one of you across this wire? Just step forward and let me try. No one offered to do so. Telling people that God's grace can transform lives when we've never allowed God to change us is like trying to make a home run for God without ever circling the bases. It just doesn't happen that way. Preparation precedes blessing. In 2 Kings 3 and 16, the people needed some water. God answered their need, but no water was provided until the army had first dug the ditches that would hold the water. In 2 Kings 4 and 3, there was a widow that needed oil and money. Elijah helped the woman hear from God, but no oil was provided until the woman had prepared by gathering empty vessels from her neighbors. In John 9 and 7, there was a man who was born blind and he desired sight. Jesus gave him vision, but not until the man had prepared by obediently washing himself in the pool of Siloam. In John 11 and 39, Mary and Martha wanted Jesus to console them because Lazarus had died. Jesus brought happiness to their heart, but not before they had prepared by rolling away the stone of disbelief. If you want to see the glory of God, you must make your preparation. Second base is consecration. 
In addition to loving God with all of our heart, we are asked to love God with all of our soul. This is a personal call on your life. This is giving our all in all to God. This is our reasonable service because it's our reason for being. Dwayne said earlier that we believe in the priesthood of all believers. If this is really so, we would of necessity believe in consecrating some portion of ourselves to the Lord. Moses said, consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that God may bestow upon you a blessing. Consecration is such a set-apart word, and dedication is more user-friendly, something that we're familiar with in our everyday vernacular. We dedicate books and songs and movies and endowments, and in some churches, pews and babies. A good deal of the time, dedications are made to the memory of someone who is no longer living. But what if we dedicated our life in service to a living God? Our service would never be a done deal. It would ever evolve and ever be refreshed. There's a spiritual connection between dedication and fulfillment. Dedication is a part of the process that one engages in when one is being made perfect. So service is not designed to wear us out or even to get God's work done. Service is the process by which we can achieve the end goal that God has designed for us. Someone has said, if Christ isn't Lord of all, Christ isn't Lord at all. Serving God with our soul means allowing Christ to be Lord of all by giving God the very best of our service. There was a young man who took a shortcut home late one night through the cemetery. He fell into an open grave. He yelled and yelled, but no one heard him. He tried to climb out, but he could not. Finally, he gave up and he settled down in one corner of the darkened grave to wait for morning, and he fell asleep. A little while later, another man who was likewise taking a shortcut fell into the same grave. He was a little tipsy, but he started clawing and kicking and shouting and trying to get out, and he woke up the sleeping man in the corner. Suddenly, the tipsy fella heard a voice in the corner saying, you can't get out of here. And guess what? Mr. Tipsy climbed right on out. (laughs) You see, no matter what your situation, no matter how deep the fix is in which you might find yourself, when you give something your all in all, you will make it out. Some people are smart enough to try God as their first resort, and they find that God answers them. There are others who think it's only logical to try some of their own resources first. When these do not work, and the walls in the grave that they have dug for themselves start shifting and collapsing, then these do-it-yourselfers will resort to asking God for help. But you know what? God does not hold it against us when we're slow learners. 
Sooner or later, we have to all come to the knowledge that there is only one big G, capital G, God. When we give our brokenness and our fears and our anxieties and our disbeliefs to God, God brings us out of the pits of the miry clay and lifts us up on a solid rock. And that's when we know how to consecrate our service to God. If preparation is first base and consecration is second, third base is transformation. Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your mind. Romans 12 and 2 says to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. A young army sergeant received some papers that said that she was qualified to jump from a plane. She had never received any official training, but nevertheless, she got on the plane with the 102nd Airborne Division, and she jumped out. She made a successful landing. When the administrative error was recognized, people asked her, why did she jump if she knew that she'd not been trained? She said, well, if the United States Army says that I'm qualified, who am I to disagree? <laughs> For sure, this jumper had a made-up mind. Romans 12 and 2 encourages us to have a made-up mind, one that does not conform to worldly standards. No matter how much of a rebel we think we are, each of us is still, to some degree, a conformist. We show up to work as scheduled or provide a service as scheduled during the hours that are scheduled to receive our wages as scheduled, and in this way, we are all conformists. The Greek word conform means to form or mold. It means to fashion or shape one thing like another. The verb has a special reference to things that are transitory, changeable, and unstable. And that's why Romans 12 and 2 advises us not to be conformed or shaped or molded by the values of this world. Now, we don't object to conforming to some worldly standards, like working for money, but we would deny vehemently that as citizens of God's kingdom, we often conform more to worldly values than to kingdom values. We are more inclined to pay taxes regularly and pay tithes spasmodically because we're more threatened by the IRS than we are by our creator. We are comfortable hearing politicians proclaim that God is on their side, but we're uncomfortable about examining their records to determine if they have ever been on God's side. We champion the status quo as long as it suits us. It's only when we are in the minority that the tyranny of the majority becomes ungodly. So our principles and our values fluctuate according to what we stand to gain or lose. And that's why Romans 12 and 2 continues by saying we should be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Now that word means to change into another form. It's being obliged to undergo a complete change, which under the power of God will find expression in character 
and conduct. You can tell when someone has been transformed because there's a long-lasting change in character. I, I found out that this word that we translate transformation really is the word for transfiguration. So no wonder when people are transformed, they act differently. It's because they're an entire new being. A Jet magazine shares the story of a Dwayne McKinney, who's a young African-American man who was arrested for a murder he did not commit. At age 19, he was a gangbanger, and because of his lifestyle, no one believed that he was innocent, so he was tried and convicted. He said he really didn't know how to pray, but he kept asking God the same thing over and over, which was to put it on the killer's heart to confess. For nearly 20 years, he prayed the same prayer. Prison life wasn't easy for him. He was stabbed eight times, and he tried to kill himself on numerous occasions. He said in the 17th year, he ran out of hope, and he thought about attempting an escape from prison, which would force the guards to shoot him. But in the depths of his despair, he made a promise to God. He said, God, if you give me my life, I will give you my life. And at that moment when he gave his life to God, he said he started to really believe. He was transformed. No matter what happened to him after that, he never again lost hope. Two years later, he said in 2000, his prayer was finally answered when the real killer confessed. And so the man was freed, and he received a million-dollar settlement, and he promptly invested that in an ATM business in Hawaii, and now he's a multimillionaire. This is a man who has been changed from the inside out. Standing on home plate, he can proclaim God's transforming grace. And we too have, and we always will have, personal stories to tell about God's transforming grace grace in our lives. Whatever comes your way, just imagine Jesus as your umpire calling you to batter up. Amen.